John 15, verses 1 through 8. If you follow along as I read. This is Jesus speaking. Verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Short, simple prayer before we consider God's word. Lord, command what you will and grant what you command for Jesus' sake and our good. Amen. Well, you can't see the title this morning. That's okay. Or maybe you can. I don't know. Are we back and forth with the projector today? Is, is it good? Got the thumbs up, but... It's, it's on, on process. Hey, we are starting John 15. We're going to take this in three weeks as we go through this chapter. Um, big title, In Christ. The subtitle, Abide and Something. Today it is Abide and Grow. Abide and Grow or Abide and Bear Fruit. I couldn't make up my mind, and so my paper says Abide and Bear Fruit, and the image says Abide and Grow. So this or that, right? Um, but we'll be looking at the first verse, eight verses this morning, and then we'll look at the next section in the middle, and then we'll conclude chapter 15, Lord willing, in two weeks. Um, but they'll be all under this, this heading of in Christ, in him, is where we stand positionally before the Lord. And, and that is an, an essential and important doctrine of the Christian faith. Because if we are not in Christ, then we are simply in Adam. Paul talks about this in the book of Romans, that in Adam all die, but in Christ all are made alive. That we are dead in our trespasses and sins before Christ comes and pays the penalty to bring us new life in him. And when he does that, he changes our position. We are no longer under our old self, but we are now in Christ. And the relationship that we have with God is based on that alone. I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded of that every day. Well, our series today gives this idea of abiding or remaining or making our homes in Christ and bearing fruit and growing. We'll talk about what that looks like, but I wonder in your mind when you hear that phrase of bearing fruit or having perhaps when you say a fruitful life, what comes to mind? What would it look like for you to have a fruitful life? And we're sitting in church right now, and so you know I'm saying fruitful life in Christ. Why don't you think Maybe even outside of that, not that that's typically what we want to do, but what, what is the world's perception of a fruitful life? Just a couple days ago, Queen Elizabeth II passed away at 96 years old. And so there's been a lot of talk about her, and a lot of talk about what her life looked like. That in a lot of ways, people might consider Elizabeth II to have among the most fruitful lives that we might see. 
here are a couple of things. From age 25 to age 96, she served her country as the queen, 70 years as the head of state. We know that that role is basically ornamental anymore, right? It's basically she is the ceremonial queen, but parliament and the, the prime minister and all those that, that actually do the governance, it seems as though her role might just simply be symbolic, but she had a lot going on in those 70 years as head of state. If you don't know, she became queen at 25 because her father passed away. So it's just a young 25-year-old. I can't imagine, I can't imagine at 34 ruling a country, but at 25, that's amazing to consider what she's done in 70 years. In those 70 years, she finds herself in the line of you know, those who have the longest reign in recorded history. She's only in second place behind King Louis in France who reigned for 72 years. She was only two years behind him. But in those 70 years, she also was married 73 years. That's kind of remarkable in and of itself, isn't it? She was the patron of 800 charities and in her lifetime raised $2 billion. $2 billion uh, 76 years ago would have been a little bit different than it is today. Obviously, this is through the span of her life, but... $2 billion, that's, that's a lot. It was given away to 800 different charities. So I'd ask you do, you, do you see that as a fruitful life? In many ways, yes. And we'll, we'll learn a little bit more about Elizabeth's faith towards the end of our time together here. But just on the surface, just on the things that came out of her life, it'd be very easy to say, that's a fruitful life. Then look at my life and be like, well, I'm no queen of England. Can't really expect the same kind of fruit out of my life, can you? And yet what Christ is calling us to this morning is simply to abide in him and to bear fruit in him. Abide and bear fruit in the true vine. This is what you heard from this first verse. Our big idea is that because Christ is our vine, we must live fruitful lives as we abide or live in him. And this word abide, if you remember a couple years ago, back when there was a pandemic, I, I was thinking back to preaching through 1 John, and abide was the big heading of every sermon for that letter. And I, just another moment for me to just sit and be thankful that y'all are sitting in the pink chairs this morning, because I remember a lot of my 1 John sermons were preached to no one in this room. <laughs> it was very depressing. <laughs> it was rough. But you're here, and I'm thankful for that. But this word abide, this is the first time that Jesus is going to use this word abide, um, but it connects us back to the beginning of chapter 14. If you go back to chapter 14, and in those first verses, when Jesus is speaking to his disciples after talking about the betrayer and talking about Peter is going to deny Jesus, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. This, this sentence frames really all of chapter 14, and we'll see a shift as we come back to 15 in a second here. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Now it's interesting that he says he's going away. He's going to prepare a place, <clears throat> excuse me, a home for us to abide in. <clears throat> Boy, you know what? I think that cold is getting me. Pardon me for a second. sympathize with you coffers out there. <laughs> All right, try that again. 
as we consider abiding in Christ this morning, we ought to connect back to something Jesus has already taught the disciples. He's going away to prepare a place for them, a place with them. And he's also saying, in light of my going away, he's saying, abide or remain in me. Almost seems contradictory, doesn't it? In, in the Christian faith, we talk a lot about there being things that are already and not yet. And this is one of them. Christ commands us in John 15 to abide or remain in him. But he also says that he's gone away to prepare a place for us. So he's here, but he's not yet returned. How can that be? Well, from our last two messages in John, we know how that works, and it is by the Holy Spirit. Christ's Spirit remains with us and in us, and therefore gives us a constant connection to Jesus, who calls himself, in this first verse of John 15, the true vine. So if we would break this section of eight verses down even further, we might see in verses one through three, this illustration of the vine and the branches. In verses four through six, we see the, the meat of it, the call to abide and the effects of abiding in Christ. And then in the last two verses, seven and eight, we see the results and the purpose of that abiding. In verses one through three, then, this idea of the true vine is first going to send us all the way back before the Gospel of John to the Old Testament to consider the fact that in the Old Testament, Israel was so often called a vine. And we could spend a lot of time, you could just very easily go online and look up the word vine and find it in many different places in the Old Testament. Um, but you'll see that what Jesus is doing by calling himself the true vine is he's saying, I, not Israel, am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So he has taken the place of Israel. In one sense, he's picked up what Israel has set down in their unfaithfulness to God. God the Son comes in as the true vine. And then he says, interestingly enough, this is another one of those points where we have an I am statement. This is actually the last one in the Gospel of John. And what's unique about this one is that in his I am statement, he not only identifies himself, but he identifies his father. In the metaphor, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. He's the one who cares for the vines. And he expresses what that looks like in verse 2. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So the vine dresser's job is not simply to go out and check the vine and just say, all right, you're doing what you're doing. Okay, see you tomorrow. But the job is twofold. There are branches that will be out there in the vineyard that are bearing no fruit. And if they're bearing no fruit, they need to be removed. And there are branches that are bearing fruit. They're doing the right thing. And if they are bearing fruit, the fruit needs to be removed so that more fruit can be born. <laughs> Interestingly, then after that, in verse 3, he stops the metaphor for a second. And I think this is incredibly important. Because if the call is to abide and bear fruit in the true vine, what he's calling us to is not something of our own volition, of our own efforts, of our own making. Because he says already, which that word is just so great here after this. Because verse 2 could sound really scary. There's branches that bear fruit, and there's branches that don't bear fruit. Some branches are pruned so that they can continue to bear fruit, but others are broken off and thrown away. Jesus, in speaking to his disciples, then says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. 
Abiding in the true vine has so much to do with the word of the true vine, and we'll get back to that shortly. But if you remember back to chapter 8 and verse 31, Jesus told those who were listening, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples. So the word is what cleanses us. This is in part why we emphasize the word. That's why, you know, when, I, when we come up and begin the service and we, we start with the word, then we sing, and then we come up, and even the pastoral prayer time, we begin by thinking about preparing our hearts to receive God's word. Now, if you are uh, one of those people who read your Bible daily or every other day or to some regularity, you might say, okay, why is this unique? Well, it's unique because we're specifically setting time aside to do that together. We are, as it were, returning to the vineyard as we come together to consider the true vine and the vine dresser. Then we see in verse 4 the call, abide in me, that imperative statement. This is what I'm asking you to do. Abide in me and I in you. And you've got to imagine the disciples are thinking, okay, how do we abide in you if you're going away? They probably don't truly understand all this stuff about the Holy Spirit yet. Some of this might have been confusing. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And then later on in chapter 14, he says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come and make our home with him. So there's a going away to make a home. There's a, a coming to us to make a home. And then he's telling us to, in one sense, make our home in him. All the bases are covered. This is what being in Christ means. <laughs> The call is to abide, and its effects are very clear. If we are in Christ, we will bear fruit. He says in verse 5, if you look at it with me, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So the language changes from simply bearing fruit, in verse 2, to now bearing much fruit. So the Christian life is not a struggle from the point of conversion to the point of your deathbed to finally come up with some fruit to prove that you are a disciple of Christ. The Christian life of abiding in the vine is bearing much fruit, is an overflow of what the true vine actually provides. So if we are in Christ, we will not only bear fruit, but we will bear much fruit. And then Jesus gives us this great line, that the one who's bearing much fruit is also the one who, apart from the true vine, can do nothing. You cannot produce something for God to please him, the vine dresser. Is that not what the vine dresser looks for when he goes out to the vineyard? I want to see grapes. I want to see fruitful branches. I know the vine. I know the vine's good. I've cared for the vine. I've prepped the vine. The branches start growing. I'm ready to see fruit. And the expectation is that there will be much fruit as we abide in Christ. We'll talk about what that fruit is shortly. We will bear fruit, yet apart from him, we can do nothing. What a wonderful negative statement. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Put no trust in yourself, church. Then the results in the purpose of abiding. We see some very interesting ones. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, see the word coming in again is so essential to our abiding in Christ. He says, if that's true, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We've already heard this, haven't we? Do you remember this not too many verses ago? Jesus said here in, uh, verse, in chapter 14, if you, yeah, chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive 
because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he, uh, this is not the passage that I want to read. Are you getting that yet? <laughs> Here it is, verse 13. Like I said, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Do you get the idea that Jesus is serious about you praying? Do you ever feel the sense of, I better not ask God for that because he's probably going to say no, and then that's going to affect my faith. I might start doubting him, so I'm just not going to ask him for help in whatever situation I'm facing. That is not what Christ sets forth for us, church. He wants you to ask. He cares. And he is the true vine who can sustain all we need in him. So the results of of abiding the prayer is there if we are longing to bear fruit jesus tells us hey pray ask me i I mean can you imagine sitting down for prayer tomorrow morning after your devotion and just saying lord bear fruit in my life what's he gonna say no of course not see if we're abiding in him and abiding in his word then our wishes and our desires are being shaped by so no, I, I don't wake up tomorrow morning and say, all right, whatever I wish, could sure use a million dollars or all those rote things that we consider. Rather, our hearts are changed to, the, to long to bear fruit, to please our Father in heaven. So what are we talking about with abiding and bearing fruit? We're not talking about the process of being saved. We're not talking about what you need to do in order to become a Christian, Right? branches that bear fruit do so because of their connection to the vine. So bearing fruit is not a, cool, now God is pleased with me, but no, rather because God is pleased with me, because of my eternal relationship with Christ, and that I have that relationship with Christ to the Father, to the vine dresser, fruit naturally comes from that. Now, as we continue this idea of being in Christ and abiding in him for the next two weeks after today, Um, Today, specifically, we want to be considering that this fruit is most likely referring to the the proofs of Christian life in a person. That is, the character of Christ being formed. So you might be thinking of Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, right? If the Spirit is the one who is connecting us to Christ, Christ connects us to the Father, etc., then it is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control that is being produced in our lives. First and foremost, it is the character of Christ that the vine dresser is looking for to prove that we are, in fact, connected to the vine. This is our positional-based character in Christ. That We are not producing our own character, but he is producing his character in us. And that leads us into the conflict of this passage. Because what about the untransformed life? This passage shows very clearly multiple times that there is a division. There are branches that bear fruit, and there are branches that do not bear fruit. And I wasn't signifying this half of the church and that half of the church. So, Every time I do one of these kind of things, I'm like, I'm not saying y'all aren't bearing fruit. Okay. But there is a distinction that's being made in this passage, isn't there? It's a little bit scary. It's a little bit scary when I inspect my own fruit of my life and consider... Am I a fruitful branch or am I a fruitless branch? And Jesus is very clear that fruitless branches don't abide in the vine. They don't live in attachment to the true vine, but rather are phonies. Now, have we seen an example of a false branch 
in the Gospel of John already? He asked the congregation waiting for an answer. Judas, right? Judas is this first tragic example of a false branch. And, and you can see this sort of parable or metaphor being worked out in previous chapters, things we've already covered. Do you remember what happened to that false branch of Judas? What did Jesus do? Yeah, well, first of all, he washed his feet, right? Excellent. Yes, Bree, he did. He still expressed the love of God to Judas. That was an amazing thing. Now, on the negative side, what did he do after that? Somebody knows and they just don't want to say it. What did Jesus do with Judas? You, you know this, right? Yeah, he sent him out, didn't he? Right? You can nod your head and you can go, oh, yeah, that's right. He sent him out. Thank you. <laughs> Judas is the one who's going to betray him, and Jesus knew that. He knew that Judas was not a true branch, that he was not truly abiding in the vine. Judas is the tragic example because everyone else, even when Jesus says to Judas, what you're about to do, go and do quickly, and he leaves, and then he says, someone's going to betray me, we've got to assume that these 11 disciples never thought it was going to be Judas. He fit in with everybody else. But Jesus sent him away after so long of being in him. Look again at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. What does that even mean? Is it possible, I want you to think through Jesus' analogy here, and it's very important for us not to take this parable further than Jesus does, okay? But I think we need to be able to identify with what we've learned in the Gospel of John, this parable and the theological truth that Jesus says. So again, he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit. Literally what that looks like is, a branch that is connected to the vine and yet not bearing fruit, right? Is that true? How can that be, though? If a branch is truly connected to the vine, what's it going to do? It's going to bear fruit. Jesus has made that clear. Look again. I am the vine, you are the branches. Verse 5, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. So the branch that is doing nothing must therefore be apart from the vine. Okay, so did Jesus just mess up his metaphor here? Is he not communicating clearly to us? Or does it just take a couple moments to look at everything he said and realize that there's a big difference between what he says in verse 2 and what he says in verse 5? In verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. In verse 5... Whoever abides in me. Now, I don't know how intentional that was, but there is a difference, isn't there? There's the branches that are in me that bear no fruit, and then there's those who abide in me that bear much fruit. That's the contrast. It's just this one word, abide. And what theologians have done in trying to understand this and other passages when it comes to the church is to distinguish that there is a visible church, and there is, can you guess... An invisible church. There you all are. Good morning. Welcome to church this morning. So glad to have you. We'll be starting over now. Just kidding. That's where people finally say, no, don't. Keep going. It's fine. There's a 
visible church and an invisible church. Now, literally right now, as you, and why don't you do this? Look around a little bit. Look to your left, look to your right, look around at these other people. This is the visible church. And even if there were people, you know, there, there might be people in here that might say, well, I'm not actually a Christian, and that's okay. But what we see is the visible church when we gather to worship. But you can't look around and see the invisible church. Now, the visible church is going to include true believers, true branches, and false branches. But the invisible church is going to only include true branches or true believers. Got it? Visible church, what we can see with our eyes. The invisible church distinguishes between the true branches and the false branches. Now, there is a distinction to be made, though, too, because as we live in fellowship with one another in this Christian journey, we will begin to notice, hey, there's fruit in this person's life, and, and there's this evidence that they're in Christ. And, and, and there might be somebody you come in contact with, perhaps it was even it might be you, that you might say, is there fruit in my life? Fruitless branches don't abide in the vine. They may be a part of the visible church, but fruitless branches are not a part of the invisible church of the true church, where that distinction is made, where fruit is truly being born or not? Is it possible that a branch could truly bear no fruit if it is in the vine? No. The vine, therefore, would be supplying nutrients, everything it needs to create that grape on the end of the branch. So if it were possible that a branch, in this case, to follow Jesus' example here, his metaphor... If there could be a branch that's connected to the vine that is fruitless, it would not be a reflection on the branch, but on the vine. Do you see that? In Jesus' metaphor, when he says, you can do nothing apart from me, there is nobody who comes in and goes, no, the vine isn't really doing its job. I guess I'll just come up with my own fruit. It's not possible. Apart from me, you can do what? Thanks. But if you abide in me, you bear much fruit. So there's a clear distinction. And if we would look at this and say, okay, so there are people who can lose their salvation by not bearing the fruit of Christ because Jesus says, if there's branches in me that don't bear fruit, they're cut off and thrown into the fire and burned, then what we're actually saying is that the vine is not sufficient. Because we have to stick with Jesus' teachings here, don't we? Consider even a few chapters back in John 10. Jesus said that if we are in him, if we are in his hand, no one can snatch us out of it. And the power of that assurance is not affected by our ability to jump out and jump back in and decide whatever we want. If we are connected to the vine, there is no true disconnection between a true branch to the true vine. Otherwise, fruitlessness would only show the ineffective nature of the vine as opposed to the branch. When it comes to the visible and invisible church, we need to be in both. We need to not only be those who show up at the church at an event, who do the christian things, who are reading our Bibles at Panera, all those kinds of visible things, but also the invisible. That the true spiritual reality of our life in Christ is bearing real spiritual fruit, that the character of Christ is being formed in us, and that that is coming out, and that it's not just coming out in church attendance and these kind of things, but when trials face, when we face trials, rather, the character of Christ is what is responding in and through our lives more than our own selves. 
Okay, I didn't want to use this illustration, but I'm pretty bankrupt this week on them, so here it comes. I have a cricket in my garage. It's driving me crazy every night. So I have to have the fan running in my bedroom so that I don't hear it. But a couple nights ago, you know, kids are sick. Um, I don't know why kids like doing this, but they like to switch where they sleep in the middle of the night when they're sick. You know, they're like, I don't want to sleep in my bed anymore because it's wet or because of this is going on or whatever. And so naturally what happens to me, I also have to switch where I sleep. So I'm out to the living room and I hear this cricket in the garage and I'm like, you're going to die. This is it. Taking you out, cricket. I go out there. I find three crickets. Oh, yeah. You're done. That's it. End of story. Squish times three. Back to the couch. Eyes are closed. I mean, it was like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Like, it literally felt like I closed my eyes and said, thank you, Lord. Ready to sleep now. And I hear chirp, chirp, chirp. You know, and that, that you know, your eyes are beat red. And oh, my goodness. So I go back out there. Can't find the cricket. Went out two or three different times. This has been three or four nights now. That <sighs> Thankfully, the last few nights I've been able to sleep in my own bed. Children have been gracious. But I, I lay on the couch that first night and just said, all right, Lord, I believe in you, you know? And, and I just said, you know I got to sleep, right? And you know I can't when this chirp is going on. And so I said, Lord, I... With every ounce of faith in me, will you kill this cricket wherever he is? Because I can't find him. And, and, and it was really, church, it was literally, I was not going to be satisfied for him to just gently move the cricket out of the garage, off into the yard with all of its friends. I wanted this cricket to die. I needed justice. And, and I just couldn't reckon with the idea that God would not kill this cricket for me. And I, I wondered, is this in part due to my lack of faith? You know? And, and forgive my poor theology, because it's like 3, 4 in the morning now. You know, in the middle of the day, I might be saying, this is given, this cricket is given to you the way that the worm was given to Jonah, who ate the leaf and uncovered it, and Jonah was a whiny baby about it, and you're a whiny baby, and just get over it. You know, it may not seem like it's the most deep spiritual moment at 2 in the morning when a cricket won't stop chirping. But if I'm abiding in Christ and if every moment of my life is lived in the true vine, then my first response should not be, Lord, this is uncomfortable. Do something about it. Right? My first response really should be, okay, Lord, what are you doing here? Right? I mean, it's funny, this terrible illustration, so forgive me. Put, put your own life in this quickly and forget the cricket. But, but that thing that we're facing may in fact be not just a trial of the world, but it may be the vine dresser pruning a fruitful branch. It may in fact be that our asking whatever we wish needs to come under the authority of Christ who says, I want you to bear fruit. And yes, sleep is really great, but patience is more important. Not getting so angry. And as I sat there on my uncomfortable couch with the chirping cricket... Of course, my mind spirals into everything else, but, but I have to believe that this part was from the Lord. That there was this sense that, you know, you're letting things like this cricket and other things that just don't mesh with your plans, you're letting them kind of wilt your fruit away in, in your life in Christ. You're letting it almost be like a parasite that's devouring the fruit in your life and your testimony is out the window. 
you get angry that you come home and, and there's toys all over the floor. You step on a Lego and you're like, that's the worst thing ever. But the littlest thing, I notice that there are times that the, the, the smallest disturbance to my peaceful and good life that I'm trying to create for myself, those little disturbances don't help me reflect the nature of Christ. If I don't bear fruit, am I truly in the vine? I mean, church, your pastor had to ask that question this past week. You need to ask that question as well. In those moments where you feel fruitless, am I truly attached to the vine? Now, the hope is, and as Jesus shows us in verse 3, already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. So we have a means of, I don't want to destroy the metaphor here, but in one sense, reconnecting to the vine. It's by the word. And we have the word of God. We can be reminded that we're part of the invisible church if we, in that moment of weakness, are still able to say, Lord, pour your word out over my life and let me be reminded of what you've said. Let me be reminded of your presence by your spirit. Spirit, like we talked about last week, illuminate, turn the lights on for me as I read this and consider your purpose for me is bearing fruit, not always just comfort, not always that my plans will go the way I'd like to. Now, there are a couple of lies that we might believe in regards to our own fruit inspection. The first one might be, you can't bear enough fruit to be a good branch. You can't bear enough fruit to be a good branch. And where, do, where does that come from? It comes from you looking at that super Christian that's in your life, that is so good at memorizing scripture, that is so compassionate, that's so caring, that would never be bothered by a chirping cricket, right? That you would compare yourself with somebody else and just say, I don't have nearly as much fruit as that person does. And you might believe the lie of the enemy that you can't bear enough fruit to be a good branch. And might just decide, what's the point? Why try? Why consider abiding in Christ? Secondly, you might believe a different lie. You might say, you might believe that you bear plenty of fruit to be considered a good branch. You might believe a lie that, that there is so much in your life that you've come up with that you could say, see, I am a good branch. And that, that really behind all of that, your motivation has been twisted into trying to convince yourself that you're really a Christian. Because really what ought to happen, maybe not regularly, multiple times in the Christian life, is this consideration. Am I in Christ? And that consideration should happen whether you're having a great spiritual week or you're having a crummy spiritual week. It shouldn't matter. We should consider these kinds of things. That's why Jesus says to his 11 apostles, the faithful ones, that every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. I mean, there is a sense here, again, that he calms the hearts and says, hey, already you're clean. But there's still a consideration that we need to make here today. Fruitless branches don't abide in the vine. And if I don't abide in the vine, I am a fruitless branch. So why do we believe these kind of lies? It's easier to justify ourselves, or it's easier to silence the word of God or the words of Christian brothers and sisters that might be exhorting us you know, it's such a hard thing. You see a brother or sister who perhaps isn't going to church or isn't reading their Bible, isn't you know, showing fruit in their lives. How do you express to that person a concern for their spiritual welfare? It's hard to do. I only know how hard it is because I have failed at it considerably. It is a hard thing to inspect another person's fruit, and that's why we have to start with our own. That's why Jesus, in another place, said, hey, before you take that speck out of your brother's eye, take the log out of your own. You will only notice the, the tip of the iceberg of other people's sin. 
But when you take a moment to look at your own heart, you will see everything that lies beneath the surface. And that is for your good. That is a grace of God. Because in that moment, he not only shows us what's wrong that needs fixed, but he shows us that his grace is even greater than all of our sin. The point of Jesus' parable is that there is no fruitless Christian. That there is a threat of fire. That there is a, a, a possibility of failure of the true mission. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. That's what he wants to, to have happen and therefore prove to be my disciples. And it may be that your concern for verse 2 and what happens to those fruitless branches is proof that you are a fruitful branch. That you may be fruitful in your consideration of your own sin. And you may be fruitful in your consideration that the true vine alone secures and proves the true branches. You need to consider not only in this sad and scary context of, of branches that are being broken off and thrown into a fire, that there is also a theme of joy in a vineyard. That's, that's the, the theme that you see almost every time a vineyard is mentioned or a vine is mentioned in all of Scripture. There's a theme of joy and vine dressing. And that's what we're invited into by the vine. Jesus' mission to glorify the Father, the vine dresser. So in a sense, you have this constant fruit inspection going on in your life. And the vine dresser comes into the vineyard and looks at the branch of your life and sees the fruit. And he prunes that fruit. He cuts it back so that you can do what? Bear more fruit. To continue to grow. And that cutting back is often going to look like something like a cricket caught in your garage. It might look like something far more serious than that. But God is too big to let the trials and difficulties of your life simply be that. He is able to redeem the challenges that you face and make them into the means or the prompting for you to continue to abide in the vine and bear fruit that glorifies him. This is Jesus' mission. Vines, not only branches, but vines were also cut back to produce fruit. And at the risk of mixing metaphors, Jesus in John chapter 12, verse 24, says that unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. See, Jesus himself was, in a sense, pruned like a branch. When he went to the cross, he endured not only the crucifixion of Roman soldiers, which was among the most excruciating of human torture. That's where that word excruciating comes from, is the cross. Out of the cross, literally, is what excruciating means, I think. But he endured the wrath of the vine dresser. He endured the wrath of the vine dresser that would come in and see a fruitless branch and break it off and throw it into the fire. Christ was broken off and thrown into the fire for you, Christian, so that you might bear fruit. He was that grain of wheat that fell to the earth and died so that it might grow up and bear much fruit. And that is what he calls you to as well. Christ calls us to nothing that he himself does not do. He is the vine. He is the true vine. But the vine has to be cut back in order to bear fruit. And that's what happened at the cross. Pruning is a hard process, but our Savior was cut down to bear fruit. And so might we, when our fruit is taken away, that we might grow more fruit. That that, that moment of patience and perseverance, or that moment of kindness in a difficult situation, or the compassion that you expressed, or, or that self-control. You know, when you face that deep, dark temptation and you conquered it, that fruit is taken off the branch in joy by the vineyard keeper, the vine dresser, so that you might continue to bear more fruit. 
And that pruning can feel hard. It can be like, hey, look, I already did the difficulty. Why do I have to yet do it again? Because the branch has got to grow and the branch has got to bear fruit. The pruning process, as hard as it is, is done to secure us and done to give proof, not only to ourselves, but proof to the world that Christ is real. You will never convince a person to believe in Jesus. Don't try it. Preach the gospel to them. And let the gospel be followed up by the fruit of your life, the character of Christ being formed in you. And that is done because we not only, as Alistair Begg, I heard him say this past week, that we not only believe in Christ, but we are in Christ. Not believing in Christ only, but being in Christ as well. The, the strength of this metaphor continues to say that the closest kind of relationship that he could find in nature was used to describe the closeness between himself and his disciples. Christ is not far from us when we are bearing fruit. He is not far from us when we are in sin. He's not far from us when we repent. We are in him. We must be in him in Christ to be saved from sin, and we must be in him to bear fruit to know that we are in Christ. Again, this is the last of the I am statements, and it's so powerful because it is inviting and bringing us into the relationship that the Son shares with the Father. And if he's willing to do that, if he's willing to bring you so close, is there anything in your life that you could do that would ultimately make him say, you know what, this was a bad idea, and to cut back a once fruitful branch? There's nothing. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And because the vine has been cut back first for us, we know that in our pruning, and even in seasons where it seems we are fruitless, Christ remains the same. So then the completion, or the way we walk by the Spirit, is to glorify the Father and prove our discipleship through faithful abiding. The purpose is clear. The cross gives us confidence that our fruitfulness in Christ it's not only in Christ, but it is through Christ. He is the vine. How can I bear fruit? Abide. There's a really great word I read this morning, in, or this past week, in regards to this word abiding. It's marinate. Have you ever marinated something? Set it in the crock pot in the morning, and then all throughout the day, that smell just grows. You know, whatever it is, if it's a, a giant piece of meat, you can smell it, not only in the kitchen, but you can smell it down the hallway. That, that growth of that smell is it marinates in all the spices and everything that you put in the crock pot. Christ is doing that in us as we abide in him. The spirit and the words are our means of abiding and bearing fruit. Let us not lose sight of the word of God, nor lose sight of the presence of the Spirit in our lives. The Father prunes. Trials and temptations are welcomed because they produce fruit in our lives. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that even though our earthly tent is being wasted away, our inward self is being renewed day by day. This body is going to be affected by the world, by time, by sin, all that's happening. But what is going on inside my spiritual true self is being renewed day by day, continually bearing fruit because of my connection to the vine. So we have confidence, church. We can bear fruit without any fear of displeasing God. We can bear fruit without being crippled by the doubt of our own discipleship, by wondering, am I truly in him? We can take that moment to examine, but when we examine, we can say, well, what hope do I have? Seems like I'm in a pretty fruitless season. What hope do I have? Abide in the vine. There's no great act of penance that you need to perform to, in a sense, reconnect to the true vine of Christ. 
We bear fruit in Christ-likeness, his character. We bear fruit to battle sin and temptation. We bear fruit to find assurance when we are doubting or we feel weak. And we bear fruit to stay on mission. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Your bearing fruit as a branch is simply this. Be attached to the vine. This is our task, Christian. It's not flashy or showy, but it is God's appointed means for his own glory. It's what we're called to. Abide, remain, stay, marinate, and bear fruit. A quote from Queen Elizabeth to end. In her very visually fruitful life and all the, the charity work and all of the, those times of trial in the nation that she was a bright and shining light of unity. This person was not only a great speaker or a great um, civil servant, but from all we can tell, a follower of Christ as well. So the queen said this in 2016, we sometimes think the world's problems are so big that we can do little to help. On our own, we cannot end wars or wipe out injustice, but the cumulative impact of thousands of small acts of goodness, or in our context today, the cumulative impact of thousands of fruits being born in the lives of the church can be bigger than we imagine, she says. Christ's example helps me see the value of doing small things with great love, whoever does them and whatever they themselves believe. Pretty incredible. That small, that seemingly small act even of Christ taking our place on the cross. That one-time act, his being cut back as the vine bore much fruit in us, his disciples. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? My Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for the faithfulness of your word, for your faithfulness, Father, as our vine dresser, that you do not come scissors just winding up, ready to cut away all the branches. I can't wait to do this. No, you long for your church to bear more fruit. So Lord, would you take away the fruit in our lives that we might bear more fruit? And in that taking away and whatever that might look like, the difficulties that we might face because of it, would you remind us of your good intentions, your good purposes to make us more and more like Christ, to be in him. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.